Chapter Twenty Eight of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Twenty Eight. I have seen the desire of mine eyes the beginning of love, the season of kisses and sighs, and the end thereof. Miss Kavanagh put in no appearance at dinner. A chill, whispered Lady Baltimore to everybody, in her kindly sympathetic way, caught during that miserable drive yesterday. She hoped it would be nothing, but thought it better to induce Joyce to remain quiet in her own room for the rest of the evening safe from draughts and dangers attendant on the barring of her neck and arms so told her small story beautifully but omitted to add that joyce had refused to come downstairs and that she had seemed so wretchedly low-spirited that at last her hostess had ceased to urge her she had however spent a good deal of time arguing with her on another subject the girl's fixed determination to go home, to go back to Barbara, next day. Lady Baltimore had striven very diligently to turn her from this purpose, but all to no avail. She had even gone so far as to point out to Joyce that the fact of her thus leaving the court before the expiration of her visit might suggest itself to some people in a very unpleasant light. They might say she has come to the end of her welcome there, being given her congee, in fact, on account of that luckless adventure with her hostess's brother. Joyce was deaf to all such open hints. She remained obstinately determined not to stay a moment longer there than could be helped. Was it because of Norman she was going? No, she shook her head with such a look of contemptuous indifference that Lady Baltimore found it impossible to doubt her, and felt her heart thereby lightened. Was it Felix? Miss Kavanagh had evidently resented that question at first, but finally had broken into a passionate fit of tears, and when Lady Baltimore placed her arms round her, had not repulsed her. But dear Joyce, he himself is leaving to-morrow. Oh, let me go home. Do not ask me to stay. I am more unhappy than I can tell you, said the girl brokenly. You have had a quarrel with him. Joyce bowed her head in a little quick, impatient way. It is Felix, then, Joyce, not Norman. Let me say I am glad, for your sake, though it is a hard thing for a sister to say of her brother. But Norman is selfish. It is his worst fault, perhaps but a bad one. As for this little misunderstanding with Felix, it will not last. He loves you, dearest, most honestly. You will make up this tiny— Never, said Joyce, interrupting her and releasing herself from her embrace. Her young face looked hard and unforgiving, and Lady Baltimore, with a sigh, decided on saying— no more just then. 
So she went downstairs and told her little tale about Joyce's indisposition, and was believed by nobody. They all said they were sorry, as in duty bound. Perhaps they were, taking their own view of her absence, but dinner went off extremely well nevertheless, and was considered quite a success. Dysart was present, and was apparently in very high spirits, so high, indeed, that at odd moments his hostess, knowing a good deal, stared at him. He, who was usually so silent a member, to-night outshone even the versatile Beauclerk, in the lightness and persistency of his conversation. This sudden burst of animation lasted him throughout the evening, carrying him triumphantly across the hour and a half of drawing-room small-talk, and even lasting till the more careless hours in the smoking-room have come to an end, and one by one the men have yawned themselves off to bed. Then it died, so entirely, so forlornly as to prove it had been only a mere passing, and enforced exhilaration after all. They were all gone. There was no need now to keep up the miserable farce, to seek to prevent their coupling her name with his, and therefore discovering the secret of her sad seclusion. As Dysart found himself almost the last man in the room, he too rose, reluctantly, as though unwilling to give himself up to the solitary musings that he knew lay before him, the self-umbraidings, the vague remorse, the terrible dread lest he had been too severe, that he knows will be his all through the silent darkness. For what have slept and he to do with each other to-night? He bade his host good-night, and with a pretense of going upstairs, turned aside into the deserted library, and choosing a book, flung himself into a chair, determined, if possible, to read his brain into a state of coma. Twelve o'clock had struck, slowly, painfully, as if the old timekeeper is sleepy too, and is nodding over his work, and now one, as slowly, truly, but with the startling brevity that prevents one's dwelling on its drowsy note, Dysart, with a tired groan, flings down his book, and rising to his feet, stretches his arms above his head in an utter abandonment to sleepless fatigue that is even more mental than bodily. Once the subject of that book had been of an enthralling interest to him. Tonight it bores him. He has found himself unequal to the solving of the abstruse arguments it contains. One thought seems to have dulled all others. He is leaving tomorrow. He is leaving her tomorrow. Oh, surely it is more than the curt pronoun can contain. He is leaving, in a few short hours, his life, his hope, his one small chance of heaven upon earth. How much she had been to him! How strong his hoping even against hope had been! He never knew till now, when all is swept out of his path for ever. The increasing stillness of the house seems to weigh upon him, 
rendering even gloomier his melancholy thoughts how intolerably quiet the night is not even a breath of wind is playing in the trees outside on such a night as this ghosts might walk and demons work their will there is something ghastly in this unnatural cessation of all sound all movement what a strange power says emerson there is in silence an old idea yet always new who is there who has not been affected by it has not known that curious senseless dread of spirits present from some unknown world that very young children often feel fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones to shake says job in one of his most dismal moments and now to dysart this strange unaccountable chill feeling comes insensibly born of the hour and the silence only and with no smallest dread of things intangible the small clock on the mantelpiece sends forth a tiny chime so delicate that in broad daylight with broader views in the listeners it might have gone unheard now it strikes upon the motionless air as loudly as though it were the crack of doom poor little clock struggling to be acknowledged for twelve long years of nights and days now is your revenge the fruition of all your small ambitious desires dysart starts violently at the sound of it it is of importance this little clock it has wakened him to real life again he has taken a step toward the door and the bed the very idea of which to this has been treated by him with ignominy when a sound in the hall outside stays him an unmistakable step but so light as to suggest the idea of burglars dysart's spirits rise the melancholy of the moment since deserts him he looks round for the poker that national universal mode of defence when our castles are invaded by the masked men he has not time however to reach it before the handle of the door is slowly turned before the door is as slowly opened and what is this for a second dysart's heart seems to stop beating he can only gaze spellbound at this figure clad all in white that walks deliberately into the room and seemingly directly toward him it is joyce joyce end of chapter twenty eight recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc